Hey guys, Darren Bentley here. And before we get started, I wanted to make a special announcement. We have officially opened registration for the Private Money Conference, which is a three-day live event where you will learn directly from Jay and his team how to raise thousands of dollars in private money to fund all of your real estate deals. Now, in today's changing market, more and more people are losing out to other investors because most of those investors have the cash to fund these deals. Did you know that you are missing out on 87% of the real estate deals out there because you don't have access to private money? Sadly, most real estate investors don't even know this is the reason why they continue to lose deal after deal. And with everything that's happening in the market today, you absolutely need every advantage available to you. And having access to unlimited amounts of private money is your big advantage. So to register for this live event, head over to jconnor.com forward slash event. Again, that is jconnor.com, J-A-Y-C-O-N-N-E-R.com forward slash event, where you will be able to lock in your seat for this live in-person three-day event, which takes place June 12th, 13th, and the 14th in beautiful North Carolina. But you got to be fast because there are a limited number of seats, and when they are gone, they're gone. So again, to take advantage of this incredible event and to learn how to raise all the private money you'll ever need directly from Jay Connor and his team, head over to jayconnor.com forward slash event. Again, that is jayconnor.com, J-A-Y-C-O-N-N-E-R.com forward slash event. Now let's get into today's episode. So when you have a, or so your broker, let's say, has found you a prospective facility to invest in, I would imagine that, you know, you want to know what the performance of that facility has been. You'd want to know what the books look like. You would want to know what the current vacancy rate is, uh, you know, how many vacant, you know. So when you're when you're negotiating with the seller of a self-storage facility, how do you know you're getting truthful answers as to what the current and past performance of that facility has been? Correct. So we'll always request a profit and loss statement over the last 12 months trailing. Now, what that means is that a trailing 12-month P&L is it shows what my income and expenses are by the month so I can see trends in the income coming in and the expenses going out. Another thing that we'll do is once we get to the point where we will put together a purchase agreement that's signed by both of the parties, one of the due diligence items that must be submitted for us to close on the property is the last three years of tax returns. Uh-huh. So I'll take you on your word for the P&Ls, you know, there's always ways to, to fudge those numbers, but you really can't hide once I get tax returns, you know, and, and as real estate investors, you know, we like to maybe not show as much income on our tax returns and maybe pump up the expenses a little bit more. And that actually works in my favor as a buyer and say, hey, well, you know, you said your facility produces $150,000 a year in gross profit but your tax returns say 90,000, where's that 60,000? Oh, you know, well, I got people pay me in cash. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I totally understand. I'd like to see, you know, checking accounts where you show those deposits. Where's the cash going? I want to see that. 
Right, right. And then what about current vacancy as far as, you know, vacancy rates? How do you, how do you know what that is? Correct. So we will request a rent roll and a schedule of rents, and that should tell us which units are rented and which units are vacant and what they're paying per unit. But you can't, again, you can never trust those numbers, right? So then what we physically do is we'll go in and walk the property. I'll go and I'll walk, I'll count locks. Each <laughs> locker, I'll see, is that a manager's lock? Is that a user, a tenant's lock? And I'll physically count them and then I'll compare that against our rent roll and schedule of rents to see if they're telling the truth. Oh, you know, I only have 10% vacancy. It's like, oh, is that right? Well, when I, you know, secret shopped your facility the other week, I saw 40% of the locks there were manager locks. So what's that all about? Are you renting all of them? You know, I don't see that here. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, you know, when we think about self-storage in contrast to investing in single-family houses, single-family houses can be a short-term play where you wholesale a house and you assign it to, you know, another real estate investor. A single-family house can be a fix and a flip, a single family house can be a buy and a hold. So there's all these different kinds of strategies with single family houses. How about speaking to other different strategies, exit strategies on self-storage? Absolutely. So the way I got started in the self-storage game was by wholesaling deals, you know, but instead of me making six or 10 grand a pop, I'm making 60 to 100,000 per contract assigned. So that's, you know, 10 to 15 houses right there with marginally more work, not much, maybe an extra 10 or 20% more work on the due diligence, right? Okay, so on a wholesale deal, on a self-storage, you can make 60, 70, 80, $100,000 mm -hmm. on just a wholesale assignment fee. Correct. Yeah, we actually have one scheduled for later this month where I believe our net assignment fee will be ninety-six or $97,000 on that property. And that's just for uh, just pushing paper and negotiating. That's it. That's pushing paper. All right. Now, I know how you build a buyer's list for single-family houses of real estate investors. How in the world do you find the buyer's list for self-storage facilities? So I have a few different ways of building my buyer's list. Number one is to go to all the self-storage network events that are out there, specifically when you're working on a national basis like we are, going to the large conferences. So there's the Inside Self-Storage Conference, there's the Self-Storage Association Conference. These are national organizations, you know, going out there and rubbing shoulders. You can also go to your local self-storage facility association. So, for example, I'm in Illinois. We're a part of the Illinois Self-Storage Association. We join the local state chapter for every state that we buy a facility and that increases our buyers list. Another thing that we also do is, you know, there's a lot of self-storage brokers out there and they love to you know get anybody they can on their buyer list and then push out the deals that they're trying to sell at these ridiculously low cap rates you know what i do i save those emails and then i send it to my virtual assistant maybe four or five months later and say hey go find out who bought this facility and then i send them a letter saying hey if you thought that facility you bought for four and a half percent cap rate was good check out mine at ten percent i think you'd like it nice yep. nice mm -hmm. so so as relates to this world of self-storage, is, is there such a thing as like, like a turnaround? So, so for example, like a it was, it's, it's real popular in apartments. 
to where you can, you, you know, you, you invest in a distressed or rundown apartment complex, you get it fixed up, uh, you get better tenants, you raise the rents, and then you sell it. Is that somewhat similar to what you could do in self-storage? Yeah, and there's actually a secondary option that you have because it is a commercial property. So one thing that we do is we'll buy a facility that's underperforming. We'll, you know, get rid of all the all the troublemakers, if you will. We'll increase rents as we do any type of capital expenditures to the building, make it look nicer, make it look safer. We'll decrease expenses by putting in management efficiencies. And then we'll turn around and we'll either list it for sale, which is the same way that you can do for single family and multifamily. But what I like to do is then go and put it on the uh, commercial mortgage market. So either commercial backed securities, mortgage securities, life insurance companies love to finance these. Same thing with agency debt, the Freddie, the Fannie Max, stuff like that. And then just pull all my money out of the deal. So I, I now have infinite cash on cash return. I already have all my money back to go do it again. I, I, just, I can recycle that same million dollars over and over and over again. And every time I do it, I add another nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month in passive income to my portfolio. Got you. So for the sake of our audience, how about go ahead and list the benefits, Fernando, as to why self-storage? Why be interested and invest and do this self-storage business, say, as opposed to other types of real estate? Sure. So let's look at some historical data. So number one, it is the highest return versus any other real estate asset class. So looking at a study that was done by the National Association of REITs, between 1994 and 2017, the average annual return, if you would have put money in the S&P 500 in the stock market, was about 7.54%. If you put that same money into self-storage, your average annual return would have been 17.43%. Right? Wow. So that's a huge difference, 10%. But we're all real estate investors here. So it's not about stocks or self-storage. It's about residential and multifamily. So in that same time, remember, self-storage is 17.43% average annual return. During that same time, residential properties returned 13.42% and multifamily returned 13.32%. So that 4% difference, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add compounding interest in, it's a huge difference. So let's, let's say that you, Jay, you have $100,000. It's 1994. You have $100,000. You're trying to, where, where should you put it? So if you put into the S&P 500, that 100,000 would be $532,000 in 2017. If you put it into residential properties, that 100,000 would be 1.8 million. But if you put that 100,000 into self-storage, that 4% compounding extra interest, that 100,000 would be worth $4.02 million in 2017. Wow. So doubling your money. Wow, awesome. So, yeah. So when you're analyzing a deal, just give us the 30,000-foot view. I mean, keep yeah. it simple. What are the main criteria points to consider when analyzing a deal as to whether it is a deal? Yeah, and believe it or not, the last thing I look at are the financials. The very first thing I look at is the market. Is the market oversupplied? Is it undersupplied? So what I'll do is I'll just go look at what type of competitors do I have in my space? Are they at 100% occupancy? That's a good sign for me. If they're all at 50% occupancy, 
that's telling me that there's already too much self storage in that market, and I, I'll just stop my underwriting right there. Now, how do you get that information so quickly on, you know, on occupancy? Yeah, very easy. So what we'll do is I'll go ahead and a lot of these things I have created standard procedures for our virtual assistants to do for us. So the very first thing I do is we'll go do a market study. We'll identify who our competitors are in that space, and then we'll actually secret shop them. We'll, we'll call them and say, hey, you know, what type of occupancy do you have? Half the time they tell us, half the time they won't tell us. If they won't right. tell us, then we'll call back from a different number and we'll say, hey, we're a large contractor moving into town. We need a bunch of units while we wait and try to find a warehouse. How many units do you have available or how much square feet do you have available for us to potentially use? And that's another way to get the, those numbers from them. Right? At the same time, we'll also ask what their pricing is for each one of the different size units. And that will allow us to see, are they full because they're undercutting the market a lot or are they very empty because they're charging a 20 or 30% premium to the market. These are all things that we look at. If that passes that sniff test, then we move on to the next underwriting criteria, which is called the supply index number. Supply index number is a fancy way to say how much square feet of self-storage is there per person in this market. On average, 7.25 square feet per person. That's considered roughly stable. It, there's enough supply to meet the demand in the market. So if all of a sudden I'm, I'm running my numbers and I see that there's a market that has three square feet per person on average, that means that I can come into that market and double the total amount of self-storage and still not meet all that demand. I love very low supply index numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's on the opposite side, then again, we cut it off. We say, all right, we're done underwriting this. Let's move on to the next deal. If all those things meet the criteria, then I start looking into the financials and I say, okay, how much money are you producing? What is the expenses going out? What's your purchase price? Is it at a cap rate that makes sense for me? More importantly, is it at a cash on cash return requirement that makes sense for me? A lot of my facilities, I'm looking to double my money in the facility every year. So that means that I'm looking for a 50% or higher cash on cash return. Got you. So if someone has never been involved in self-storage, but they're interested in getting started, you know, from your own experience, what's your recommendation on how someone could get started in self-storage? Yeah, I have a, a couple of recommendations. One thing is they can always contact me. You know, I usually give out my cell phone number on these podcasts, it's, and I will, I'll do it right now. It's 630 408-8090. Texting is preferred. You can also go to our website, titanwealthgroup.com. Another great asset is, is uh, Bigger Pockets. There's a lot of self-storage investors on biggerpockets.com that are more than willing to help out. I'm always on there. Our, our communal friend, Scott Myers, uh, he's always on Bigger Pockets and he's answering anybody's questions that they have about self-storage. But in addition to that, Scott also offers a boot camp where he'll teach you how to get up and running in 90 days on self-storage investing. And that's actually what I did to, you know, to, to get in the game. And I, I really recommend it. Scott's a good friend of mine and he's changed my life. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So give out your uh, cell phone number one more time. Uh, sure. That's, that's very kind of you to offer of your course. cell phone. I guess people can reach out to you and uh, ask you questions and dig a little bit deeper if they want to get started, right? Absolutely. So my number is 630 408 8090. 
Awesome. In fact, we'll just go ahead and just put that right up. It'll be in the it'll be in the show notes. And you know, if, if someone happens to be watching one of our video channels, right here, uh, area code for Fernando. We'll put his name up here as well. Fernando Angelucci, right? Angelucci. <laughs> so area code six three zero four zero eight eight zero nine zero. All right, Fernando. Parting comments. Hey. It Self-storage seems like it is, it's one of those things that you have to wait to get into. You have to, you know, a lot of investors I talk to say, oh, first I'm going to do some single family, then I'm going to do some small multifamily, then maybe some big multifamily, then, then in 10, 15 years, I'll do self-storage. You don't need to do that. It's easier than multifamily. It's easier than single family. It's easier to manage them. Just get started right away. And if you need the money, call Jay. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Fernando, thank you so much for taking the time to join uh, join me and be here on the show. Likewise. Thanks so much, Jay. All right, folks. There you have it. I'm Jay Connor, the Private Money Authority, wishing you all the best. And here with this show is taking your business to the next level. We'll see you on the next show. Bye for now.